It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. You can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name's Kay Winnigal and I'm joined today by my co-hosts Natalie Bucknell and Laura Perry. Hi Kay. Hi Kay. So today we're talking to Claire Painter, an engineer working at AEMO, the Australian Energy Market Operator. She's obtained a Bachelor of Engineering in Renewable Energy and Bachelor of Arts, Political Science, at the Australian National University. And she's part of the graduate program at AEMO and currently working at the congestion modelling team. Welcome, Claire, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kate. Great to be here. Yeah, good to have you here. Now, tell us a little bit about AEMO and where you sit in that yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so I've actually just completed our three-year graduate program. And so that consists of four nine-month rotations, which I think is a really good experience to have. It's enough time to sort of get stuck into the nitty-gritty and actually do something and get an appreciation for the complexity of different areas in the company. Um, and then, of course, you get to have a whole host of different experiences. And I think the biggest thing that I've learnt from my three years in the in the energy industry is that, first of all, we're extremely lucky to be here. Uh, it's a fascinating time to be working in energy. And second of all, of the complexity that is uh, in existence in the power system. I think AEMO has given me an appreciation of the different facets from gas to electricity to markets to power system fundamentals. And it's been really valuable. It's an amazingly big organisation, isn't it? Yeah, 700 people. So, yep, we've got operations across the eastern state in what we call the national electricity market uh, and also a number of gas markets and then over to WA as well. In the southwest interconnected system, which is the section um, around Perth and Kalgoorlie, Kalbarri, that area, but not the north. That's that's microgrid. That's still separate. Yeah, 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 that's separate. Mm-hmm. Mm. So when did Western Australia come on board? Uh, that was a couple of years ago now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, AEMO works in conjunction with a whole host of other organisations. We, we're only one part of this very big picture. Fantastic. Now, you're also a member of ESA, which is the Electric Energy Society of Australia, and that's part of uh, Engineers Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a. Um, we, we're associated with Engineers Australia, and we've also sort of got our own functions as well. It's a bit of a complicated situation. Mm-hmm. And that's been power, uh, advocating for power industry for about a hundred years. Exactly Seems right. Like a long time. To yeah, be. yeah. And we just held our ninety-first conference. It's quite, it's quite sobering to be part of an organisation that's been around for, for that long. I mean, I've been working in the industry for about three percent of its life. <laughs> So in terms of, you know, in 100 years' time, everything's been stable, mm. I'd imagine, for 97 of those years, mm. and then all of a sudden this disruption comes along and everything gets turned on its head. Yeah, you're, you're on the money. And I think that is just, it's quite a fascinating insight to have. Um, for 150 years, the power system has, has been pretty consistent, you know, and I think 
um, engineers as a discipline have, have grown accustomed to things being the same and demand increasing by a linear amount each year. Um, and as an industry, we run the system, we know how it works backwards, um, we dispatch, we control. And I think in the last, really in the last five years, that discourse has changed and energy is now owned by everybody. Um, and it's quite fascinating to be. So I, I volunteer with the Electric Energy Society, both in terms of organising site visits, which is um, really important in terms of getting an appreciation for how things work. And also with running our annual conference. And you see change quite profound in our organisation alone. For a hundred years, it's been pretty focused on utilities, your transmission companies and your distribution companies, which are prominent in every state. And now things are changing. Distribution companies and transmission are obviously still incredibly important, but they're just one piece of a of a complex puzzle and with our conference that we've just run in Melbourne in in November this year uh, that was front and center we uh, I think it was a bit of a a big change for our organization for a hundred years it had stayed the same and then all of a sudden there's you know renewable energy companies coming along and startups and and the industry is much bigger people have changed as well no longer uh, is the industry solely made up of um, you know, electrical engineers, but there's economists, there's energy forecasters, uh, it's e- everybody and, and everyone, and I mean everybody on the street has an opinion on energy these days, so <laughs> we, we need to sort of change our ways as well to make that a bit clearer. Data analysts, IT Everything, people. like you, you, you're dealing with massive data and all of the, you know, blockchain is the word of the month at the moment, and once you start dealing with things like that, it's big data and big systems and... Um, yeah, it's it's a complex picture that needs a lot of people involved. So, you, so you've mentioned a couple of the roles that ESA plays. What what else do they do? Yeah, so ESA, the Electric Energy Society, um, it's it's been profoundly so, so one of our catchphrases of course is um, by the industry for the industry and I think oh there must be 20 or 30 conferences on the annual conference calendar these days because you know it's a good time to be an industry it's not a bad time for investing at this point in time it's not as doom and gloom as maybe it was five or six years ago and so you know we we're, we're playing in that field and I think the strength that we have is that we're all volunteers and everybody's there. I think there's a big sense of community in the energy industry and everybody is sort of in it to, to develop things. Um, so in the conference that we organised, we had probably 40 or 50 senior energy professionals who were all giving their time to basically develop um, the capabilities and the understanding across um across industry and when I say industry that's changed now it's broadened to include the data analysts that KU mentioned um, energy forecasters areas like that so that's probably where it starts from with the conference that's our flagship event but it's developing young engineers so we have a mentoring program that um, when when people graduate university we'll link them up with a senior professional and they'll be able to sort of learn from their experience um, site visits uh, uh, sponsorship for students studying things like that to encourage more people in the industry I think the value that we have I mean we're an organization that's come from 100 years so we've got a lot of really experienced people who've worked in what is potentially a a, a bit of a different time but they have a knowledge that you simply can't ignore it's 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 really really valuable and so um you've got this um coming together of the you know two two different generations though and there's a lot we can learn from that through things like mentoring programs and yeah 
instant e- experts the new ones are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've got to be careful sometimes, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> so you mentioned also about ESA training. Yes. What sort of training does ESA do? Well, actually, we um, there's a lot of goodwill in the industry, and I think this probably comes from the fact that, uh, like you guys, we're all volunteers as well, um, and and people were genuinely excited to get out of bed every morning and contribute to the to the industry, which is pretty exceptional um, thing to have. So training that we've just run recently we wanted to to get into the nitty-gritty so that people could understand the technical details that would facilitate good decision making um, so we actually ran two dis- two sets of training we run an introduction to the NEM which was um, very generously held by one of um, Melbourne's consultants David Strong and he basically ran through an overview of all of the different energy markets, how they work, how they might change, what the national electricity market and the grid as we know it actually looks like. Um, and participants, you know, students, consultants from utilities, a whole array of different people, they were able to understand that. Um, and then we also had um, earthing and protection because it's something that you simply cannot ignore. It, it keeps you safe. It keeps everybody on the Electrical street. Electrical earthing and protection. Electrical earthing and protection. I mean, that's people call it dark art sometimes. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, these guys are extremely intelligent individuals and they, yeah, very generously donated their time as well. So that was that was good, and everyone's better for it. I think mm, that sounds really fascinating. <laughs> yes, it's not a topic that you generally hear much about. It's not, but maybe you should. You know, like I guess that's probably what engineering and electrical systems were. You know, ten, fifteen years ago as well. You know, you just you got your power dispatched, and um, now that's changed. You know, people will control their loads in ways that that didn't happen before. So, hmm. mm. so back to the conference now, Claire. So the recent um, electrical energy conference, E-Econ, or what do you, do you call it, E-Econ? Yeah, we call it E-Econ, yeah. <laughs> um, so what was the title of the, the conference this year? So actually, um, we called the conference this year Collaboration and Innovation, um, and that was probably a big change from what it had been in previous years. I mean, it has in previous times been called Understanding the Threats to Industry. Now, in, in my opinion, there are, there are no threats to industry. It's simply change that you need to get on board with. Um, so we really wanted to focus on the positives, and one of the one of the um, biggest things that we did is we had a keynote panel innovation. We wanted to make front and center, and I mean innovation is something that's big now, but in a system that hasn't changed for a hundred years, it's maybe not quite as big as it as it could have been. Um, and so we had we had an exceptional keynote panel, and it required a lot of humility from all of our keynotes. We asked five people to be on that. Um, and these individuals are all accustomed to being the sole keynote that gets to command the audience for an hour. And we said, come to Melbourne and speak for 20 minutes, um, which was very good for them um, to get on board with that because we wanted to present five different opinions, perspectives, and then bring it together for a collaborative discussion because the industry is multidisciplinary now. It's not just one perspective. Um, so we had Marin York. She's the CEO of Powerlink, and she is a pioneer in that. Um, she was coming and representing, you know, you can't argue with the physics. You need to make sure that, you know, you've got your fundamentals in check. Uh, we had Joe Witters, who's heading up the new Centre for Innovation at AEMO, and that's something that's come, uh, the, the Centre for Innovation has come out probably in the last six or so months, and she's really spearheading, you know, how can AEMO work um, better with other organisations to facilitate that, and you've seen projects now with Arena and different organisations like that. 
Uh, then we had Elizabeth Brinton. Now she works for AGL. She's heading up their new energy uh, division and AGL is doing some incredible things with virtual power plants where they're basically taking a thousand home batteries and linking them all up so that you can operate as quite a considerable mass. Um, yeah, she's she's quite visionary as well. Um, and then we had Lyndon Frearson. Lyndon is the managing director of Akistica, which is a consulting firm in Central Australia that specialises in remote uh, grids, renewable energy. I mean, we've kind of done a full circle now. How you run a microgrid is probably going to be how you run power, big power systems. So he brought you know his perspective of how remote uh, Australia has shaped his perspective. And yeah, he talked. It was good. Um, and then centering all of that, we had this woman called Dr. Amantha Imba. Now, she's the founding uh, CEO of Inventium, which is an innovation consultancy. And she uses science-based um, research to make companies more innovative. And she's worked, you know, her list of companies she's worked with is longer than your arm. Um, and so she basically gave, gave a presentation on, you know, what do you need to do to be in, in, um, innovative? And then we had all of the different perspectives from our other, you know, leading energy lights, and then she brought it back together for a moderated discussion. So that was really exceptional to see. I mean, they're quite incredible people, and to have them come together and and speak from uh, multiple perspectives was quite a good outcome. Yeah. Fantastic. And so, it's good to see that there was a token male. There was a token male, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which is which is interesting, isn't it? Hearing hearing that lineup of speakers and that are, you know, we're so many females involved. I guess that's a big change in the industry, as as well. Yeah, it is. I think times are definitely changing, particularly in energy. You know, the number of women that are front and centre. You've got the CEO of AEMO, Audrey Zibelman, um, Paula Comboy. You've got Dr. Kerry Schott, who's heading up the new Energy Security Board. There are enormous numbers, and I think that's that's really exciting. Um, yeah, it's great. And is that, is that reflected in the, in the ranks as well oh, in the industry? Look, in grad in universities, absolutely, um, or particularly at ANU. I'm, I'm not sure if I could speak on behalf of others. And in graduate programs, I think it certainly is as well. I think maybe the challenge that we have is probably in that um, intermediate, you know, sort of middle management um, and really technical areas. I think that's probably where it gets a little bit more challenging. But when when you've got you know, women leading at the top and women coming in at the bottom. I'm, I'm quite optimistic. Yeah, and do, do you think do you think it's significant for the industry in terms of cultural change and 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 the the changes that the industry is needing to deal with? Yeah, look, I think you, everybody has, whether we like it or not, we've all got our own inherent biases, um, and and we're all inclined to, to see a certain type. And so I think diversity in in all types is is almost essential. And that was actually a really valuable lesson that we learnt um, in bringing this conference together because we acknowledged from the beginning that we wanted to be bigger than just utilities, and we wanted to have proper national representation. But everybody's busy, so you kind of have to get people to have some skin in the game. So we basically orchestrated our organising committee and our technical committee, which was enormous. But because of the size of it, we had representation across gender, across ages, across geographical location. And I think then, you you know, you've got all these little internal advocates, much like BZE and your 200 volunteers who, who can, you know, then they can approach their their circles of people and then your end result ends up with good diversity and that's better for every conversation. 
If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Claire Painter from AEMO and we're talking about ESA and the recent econ conference that she helped organise, in fact, was the chair of, I think. So, Claire, can you summarise what the chief highlights of the conference were for you? Oh, there were a number. I think um, the, the conference has to be considered as a whole because just in little pockets it was really only part of the picture uh, I think it's important we started off with training and that's important because you know you need there there are just fundamentals that you need to understand in order to to um, understand the complexity of the system and we create you know little advocates that understand what we're talking about and then they can go and share that knowledge and it gets broader and broader across industry the keynote as I said I think bringing that uh, multidisciplinary perspective together was just an incredible outcome um, and also bringing innovation in front and center I mean engineers we, we love facts right and to have some science-based innovation was just brilliant um, then we had a breakfast which was quite exceptional uh, held by Dr Kerry Schott and a panel where we explored well if we're going to make these changes what do we need to do like if we're going to be equipped to solve the problems of the next you know 10 to 20 years how what does that look like in terms of um university education and things like that and it was there were there were two very different camps on that issue i first um you know, there was a really strong emphasis that you need to understand the power system fundamentals because they are non-negotiable and, you you know, you kind of need to tick that box in order for your idea to work. But then there was also this idea that the system is much more complex than just engineering now and you need to understand the political dynamics and the economics and communications in order to actually be able to convey what you're talking about. So I think that could potentially evolve into, you know, a T-shaped degree that is both broad for a couple of years and then really hones in on a few things um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens there um, and that also was in conversation with Engineers Australia which is an enormous organisation with a lot of members um, and you know they've got to do some some changes as well in order to stay relevant and stay appropriate and then the best part of the conference in my personal opinion uh, was we finished it all up with site visits and we had we had three site visits we went to Warbra Wind Farm and explored you know what that looks like and got up close with all the turbines uh, we went to Melbourne's critical infrastructure. So that included the Bureau of Meteorology. They've got their National Operations Centre in Collins Street, which is quite exceptional. Um, Newport Power Station, which is a massive unit. It's 500 megawatts, me- megawatts and it's located just over six kilometres from Melbourne CBD. That's the gas power station. Yeah, that's the gas power station. And the company that runs that power station are just really generous with knowledge sharing that they want people to understand how things work. And it's massive infrastructure. You can go up on top of the boiler. It's quite a good view of Melbourne City. <laughs> and you, then You can uh, get right up there, can you? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a oh. lift that takes you to the top of the boiler. Mm. Oh. If you know the right people. If you know the right people or you come to Econ. Uh, and then we, uh, we hired a plane, which is something I've not done before, and we went to King Island and explored their microgrid. Ooh, and that, I was, that. that was really cool. Mm. Yeah. So tell us about their microgrid. So King Island is, is a bit of a pioneer in terms of microgrids. They've been around for quite a while and it's really a bit of a test bed in terms of different technologies and how, how you can use things. Um, and so they've basically experimented there and they've come up with a model which is really quite solid and now they're in the process of commercialising that and rolling it out to different places including Flinders Island which is just across the Bass, you know, still in the Bass Strait um, and Cooper Pedy in South Australia. 
And so they've got a whole host of different technologies working in collaboration um, together and, and some pretty clever control systems. It started off as diesel generators, as does a lot of microgrids, um, and then in an attempt to reduce their fuel consumption because it is, you know, it makes them a little more vulnerable and it's expensive and the, the emissions associated with it. Um, they've got some wind turbines, then they've got some solar as well, and basically they've got they've got batteries and flywheels such that if you know if the wind suddenly drops off they can the flywheel immediately sort of kicks in until the batteries or whatever generator they need to get in ramps up and it's been really successful they've just set a new record i think of 68 hours of constant renewable generation so the diesel has not been on for that period the other thing that they have which is um quite unique is dynamic resistors so they have you know if the wind is gets too high it's all it's a constant state of balance so the resistors can sort of be be um, brought online to, to try and keep that balance intact so I mean they're set up to, to demonstrate a whole range of different technologies it's it's a really good opportunity if you get the chance mm. and on a tiny island like that too imagine there would be all sorts of elements you'd have to consider yeah look they've got about 1600 people that live on king island and they've you know they've got a fairly well-known cheese factory yeah. uh, <laughs> did you get to that we did of course <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so what's the size of their system mm, what, i'm not sure actually um it's look it's quite small but it's it's very dynamic and yes. it's it's that's that's the secret to a successful microgrid isn't it it's bringing in lots of different technologies so that you have that um redundancy and you've got you know different opportunities available to you if it's not a sunny day then you've got plenty of wind available to you and and storage as well yeah. yes that talk about microgrids sort of leads on nicely to uh, perhaps some discussion about what you're on to next your next move so you're leaving AEMO in the near future? Yeah, in January I'm um, setting off to the middle of Australia, back halfway home. I'm originally from Darwin, so I'll only be 1,500 kilometres away from everything. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to go and work for a consultancy doing microgrids and renewable energy. And I think it's a really exciting time to be working in the Northern Territory. So the NT government has just announced a policy of 50% renewables by 2030. At this point in time, they're sitting at about 4%. So, you know, there's a lot of work ahead. But the fascinating thing is you can try things. You know, the way, as I said before, the way that you run a big power system like the national electricity market is going to evolve to have more in common with microgrids, you know, have more resilient cities and... We in the net in the national electricity market we have a reliability target of ninety nine point nine nine eight percent, and you you saw, you saw the aftermath of what happened when South Australia blacked out. You know if something goes wrong there are significant consequences, whereas in in smaller systems like you know what you have in Alice Springs, which is about sixty megawatt system, you can try things, you can test things, you can learn, um, and then it's really the same technology like the. The methods for managing, you know, voltage, uh, voltages accounting for lots of photovoltaics. It's the same stuff that we have in the NEM. So you can learn it in Alice Springs and then implement it on the East Coast. On the bigger scale. Yeah. Well, the Northern Territory's had microgrids for a long, long time, I think, haven't they? It has, it has. So, you know, the Northern Territory has... So so you've got a couple of interesting things. Um, you've got a couple of grids you, in... Darwin to Catherine so that's got a 300 kilometre line um, and that's predominantly gas-fired generation with increasing amounts of photovoltaics residential and then you've got another grid at Alice Springs 
Um, and then everything else is is remote microgrids. A lot of Aboriginal communities, and they there's there's been renewables in the NT for a long time, simply because the the difficulty of getting diesel supply to these communities is is really challenging. There's not great roads to a lot of these places, and so it's really beneficial to reduce that. So yeah, they're pioneers in that sense. Yeah, and is Alice Springs connected to the? The northern grid, or is that a standalone grid? No, it's a grid? standalone grid with its own. It's got um, a couple of gas-fired units there, and Alice Springs probably has the majority of the fo- of the solar. It's already got a couple of, I think, four megawatts of of solar, um, and it's really going to be a bit of a test bed for how you can implement this fifty percent renewables target. You know, Alice Springs has an incredible solar resource that the east coast would 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 dream of. Um, so I think you know there's potential for a whole host of different technologies there that we can really learn a lot from. So the other states will be watching on with interest. <laughs> well, we hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I can imagine that it would be quite a lucrative thing for the Northern Territory to <laughs> have the, all these experiments and be able to feed that information back to yeah, absolutely. Look, look, it's a new thing. This announcement happened in September. Um, there were 11 recommendations by the expert panel and the Northern Territory Government accepted all of them, to at least in principle. Um, so that was a really successful outcome. And, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. The next couple of years are going to be critical for, for what happens next. You mentioned at one stage about the Alice Springs Desert Knowledge Centre. Yes. What's that about? So that has actually been around for for quite a while. It's it's a um, a bit, it's basically a demonstration facility for a, a whole heap of different um, PV technologies. Um, so it's a solar park. You can go and physically visit, and there's a lot of data. There's a good website online where you can see how different things were operating. And this was really useful. You know, ten years ago when PV wasn't quite so common, you could see how different technologies would perform in what is really an ideal environment. Um, And look, we'll see a lot of change happening there. The Northern Territory Government's just announced $5 million to set up a centre for future energy. Uh, I'm not really too sure of, you know, it's early days on what that will look like, but it's it's exciting times and it will basically be cementing a lot of the knowledge that we can learn from microgrids and increased renewables uh, and, and delivering that knowledge to the world. Pretty amazing. It sounds like they're very progressive. Well, I hope so, yes. Yeah. Which is why you're going there. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> We've just about run out of time, unfortunately, Claire. Pissed of luck with the future and what it holds for you. Oh, thanks, Kay. Appreciate it. It should be very exciting. Keep us informed. Will do. We've been speaking to Claire Painter from AEMO about the recent econ conference that she helped organise. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, then you can go to bze.org.au and click on podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the website at bze and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.